Well, good morning. Let me add my greeting to the ones you've already heard. My name is Matt, and I'm the pastor of Adult Ministries here at Grace, and I'm just so thankful that you're here. Uh, I hope that you had a wonderful Thanksgiving with your family, and uh, blessing to us, we got some snow. So there you go. You could have walked outside today and thought, it's Christmas morning. In fact, it's the week after Thanksgiving. So here we go. Blessings to us, right? But I really am thankful that you're here, and I'm happy to preach today. So let me encourage you to take your Bible in whatever form you have it and go with me to John chapter 19. John chapter 19 is where we'll be today. We're just picking up right where we left off, continuing to understand this eyewitness account that John has about the person and work of Jesus, written by one of his, uh, written by one of his closest followers. So let me encourage you as well to access the sermon notes. You can get those on the app or on the table back there in the back in a hard copy form. So uh, feel free to jump back and uh, to hop up and grab those just right inside the, uh, right inside the auditorium. John chapter 19, friends, and we're going to uh, look at verses 16 to 30, verses 16 to 30 of that chapter. So we know that every, every good book uh, every good story, every, every good, every good uh, movie we've ever watched builds to something. Action leads to action. The plot moves forward, and eventually the wave crashes. Call it the, uh, call it the, call it the climax. Call it your favorite part uh, of, that, of that movie or that book that you read over and over again, whatever it may be. But we, under, we understand this idea of everything leading to something in a, in a story form, and that, that keeps our attention and it keeps us engaged. Well, the, the fact is that everything we have studied to this point in the gospel according to John has led to chapter 19, verse 16. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Everything in the book of John has led to that, but in fact, that's not, that's not, saying, that's not saying everything we could say. It's actually the case that everything in the Bible to this point has been leading to chapter 19, verse 16. Every word, every action, every law, every promise, every prophet, every priest, every king, every command God ever gave, any, everything he ever expected of his people has been leading to this. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Friends, the subject today is the cross of Christ. In the passage before us today, in this eyewitness account, Jesus dies. And ultimately this morning, I think our, our goal needs to be to understand why and how the cross of Christ is good news for sinners like us. We need to hear this good news. I need to hear it. You need to hear it. Our neighbors need to hear it. The extended family we just finished spending time with needs to hear it. Perhaps you, like me, look out into our world and you just develop, you've, you've just developed... Um, uh, what one author called just a natural negativity bias. Uh, you just look out and it's hard to have positive thoughts. Well, the gospel changes that perspective. The gospel, the, the, the cross of Christ has us look at our world and look at our lives and say good things have come. There is good news for a lost and dying world. And it's found in this man, Jesus. It's found in this man. And so, friends, everyone needs to hear the good news that it is finished. 
and that Christ has done the work for us. So let's give our attention to this. I I really hope that you are eager to explore this good news with me uh, through this passage. Would you stand, please, as you're able? Let's, uh, Let's read the passage, and then I'll pray, and we'll dive into it. Just listen as I, as I read, starting in verse 16, we're going to read down to verse 30. This is the event of the crucifixion, and there are four distinct elements to it that we'll look at. So starting in verse 16, just please listen as I read, I'll read down to verse 30. This is God's word. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the place of a skull which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him with two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, But rather, this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill scripture, I thirst. A jar of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask for your help now to help us behold wonderful things from your word. Lord, may we see and savor Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Take your seats, friends. Thanks. Now, you see there at the top of your notes, I like to put the message into a sentence. So really, the message in a sentence today, here's the, here's the big idea. The cross of Christ is good news for sinners like us. The cross of Christ is good news for sinners like us. And, and what we need to understand is that, is that the cross, as we talk about it, shorthand, sometimes we say the tree, sometimes we say Calvary, uh, but the cross, we're talking about the death of Jesus. We're talking about the death of the Son of God for those, at, at the conclusion of those six hours that he was there on that cross after being flogged and beaten and turned into a comic king. Now, John has his version of this. It's, um, it's, it's pretty straightforward, but doesn't lack in any way Uh, spiritual and theological significance. And what I want us to gain at the very beginning of this message is that the cross is more, what we're going to read here, it's more than just an event. It is an event. It is something that happened. But in fact, it is a message. Paul called it the message of the cross. The message that Christ became a curse for us on the cross. The message that he himself bore bore our sins in his own body on the tree. The message that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The message that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. 
the message that, that, that all we like sheep have gone astray and we have now turned each one to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him our iniquity. The Lord took the, my sin, he took your sin, he put it on Christ so that we could be forgiven of all of our sins simply by transferring our trust onto him. This is the message. It's a message that changes lives. It's a message that transforms people. It's a message that takes people from darkness and moves them into light. It's the heart of everything we believe and preach here at Grace Church. And so if you're here and, you're, and, and maybe this is your first or second or third time with us, welcome. If you're here and you're, and you're not a Christian, every week is a great week to be at church. But today you're going you're gonna to be able to hear, Lord willing, as clearly as I can give it. I, hope, I always hope you hear a better sermon than the one that's preached. But hear why it is that the cross of Jesus, that the death of a man is good news for sinners like us. Can't explain everything. Can't say everything you could ever say about it. This uh, Preparing to preach on something like this is kind of like, you know when you're walking down the steps and uh, you've got all the laundry in your arms, but there's too much, so a sock falls off, and then a washcloth falls off, and you have to keep stopping, picking stuff up. You've got too much in your hands, don't you? Well, this, this is a lot to get our arms around. It's a lot to get our arms around, but I hope to, uh, I hope to, do, it, uh, to do it justice. And so there are four elements to this passage um, as we see it, friends. You'll see them on the screen and you see them on your notes. So first, let's consider this. Let's consider John's description of the cross. John's description of the cross. And what we notice immediately is the fact that John does not dwell, and, and neither in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, honestly, dwell upon the physical suffering of Jesus. It's very blunt. It's very straightforward. It depicts what happened very clearly. We see this in verse 18. There they crucified him. There it is. You see it again uh, just, just a little bit later in verse 23. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus. So he delivers, Pilate delivers Jesus over to them to be crucified. They took Jesus. He, like in common fashion of any criminal at the time, is bearing his own cross, great significance to that phrase, to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is Golgotha. So Jesus is being led out, we know, outside of the city, Matthew tells us, to a place that is literally given the name death. The place of a skull. Now, when you, when you, um, when you see a skull, either in, either in person... It, Maybe it's a human, maybe it's an animal, uh, or you see a picture, it's unsettling. I mean, a skull, a skull is not something that you, that, that you, oh, wow, how lovely, you know. A skull signifies death. A skull signifies the absence of life, and that's where Jesus is going. Jesus is going to die at the place of death. We're told, and John, just, John in, in very quick, just quick detail, adds, there are two others with Jesus in verse 18. And there he is crucified. Now, we do need to know that crucifixion was, uh, to be crucified was to die, friends, painfully and slowly. Uh, it, it, was a death by, it, was a, it was a death by a thousand, I mean, you just died a thousand deaths. If it wasn't, if it wasn't the flogging you endured beforehand, if it wasn't the, uh, the carrying of the cross beam, which is probably what would happen, Jesus is probably walking through the city um, with, with the, with the uh, horizontal part on his back. Okay, that's what he's carrying, and, and probably, probably the, the, the vertical beam was waiting for him when he, when he arrived and he was nailed to it. And so, and so it, you know, I mean, I mean these, it's just this, this incredible amount of pain. If, if that wasn't enough, that the nails really did it in your wrists and the, this very sensitive part of your arm, they were driven through in your feet as well, and eventually you were hoisted up onto a cross, unable to lift yourself up to receive air, which is ultimately what caused a death. It was a slow death by suffocation, essentially. It was slow, incredibly painful. It was public. Only men could be crucified. Roman citizens could not be crucified. 
And so it is good for us to do that, but not to dwell on it too unnecessarily, for John doesn't do that. Now what is so interesting is the point John wants us to see. So, so what you don't find here is John, or, is John saying, and they drove the hammer into his wrists, right? Uh, there, isn't, there isn't, and his body was hoisted upon the cross, heaving into place. You find there they crucified him. And for six hours, that's where he was. Now the point of this really, really is this. This phrase here in verse 18, friends, there they crucified him. Uh, that, that crucifixion, the death by crucifixion, was not unique to Jesus. This is important that we grasp. The Romans, the first century Roman Empire, crucified perhaps hundreds of thousands of people. Okay? So, so it's not, the point here is that it's not so much what as it is who and why. It's who is being crucified and why they are being crucified that really makes the difference. More on that in just a second. But that is John's description of the cross. Not only is there a description, but secondly, friends, there is the inscription above the cross. The inscription above the cross. So it was very typical as a person was walking to the place of execution, in this case to Golgotha, someone would, um, probably another soldier, would carry a lid shoebox size wooden placard that had written on it the crime the person had committed. So they're walking and, you know, I don't know, five paces in front of them is this person carrying written on it the reason why they were being crucified. Well, that, that's pretty obvious. It's, it's imperial quality control, right? Okay, if you, if, you, if you want to avoid crucifixion, don't do this, right? And so, and so that's probably what was happening. Now, the same thing happens for Jesus, okay? In every picture of the cross you've probably ever seen, there's, well, maybe not all of them, but in most cases, Jesus is in the middle, he's probably up high, and there's something written on it. Well, that's because we get that straight from Scripture. Verse 19, verse 19, Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Now, and it, it, through, verse, through verse 20 down to verse 22, the Jews and the Jewish leaders dispute this. Okay, so they're still, they're still trying to have a little bit of control here. Basically, their whole point is, hey, he's not being crucified because he's the king of the Jews. He's being crucified because he said he's the king of the Jews. And immediately, we need to notice two things. One, this inscription is written in multiple languages. Did you see this in verse 20? Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. Second, we need to notice Pilate's insistence that what he has written will not change. Verse 22, Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Now here's, here's something else to see, okay? So typically on, the, on that little wooden plaque, the little card was what? The crime the person committed. Well, did you notice written on, written on the, this inscription for Jesus is not a crime. It's a claim. It's, it's, not, a convic- it, it's not a charge. It's not a conviction, it's, it's a statement of fact. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. That's because Jesus wasn't convicted of any crime. Not strictly speaking. Pilate brings him out after questioning him and says, I find no fault in him. What exactly has he done that leads you to want to give him such a gruesome end? Remember, Jesus is the only person, guys, he's the only person that could stand in a human court of law and be both innocent and sinless. Now, we may, go, we may be charged with something and have to go to court, and we may, be innocent of, we may be innocent of what we're charged with, hopefully we're found that way, 
But we're not sinless. We can be innocent before a human court and still sinless before God. Or we may be guilty of it and sinless. But Jesus is, sin, is, is innocent and sinless. So all Pilate can find to write is, well, this is what this guy said. And I think Pilate is trying to stick it to the Jews one more time. I think he's basically trying to say, hey, uh, here's your king, and this is all he'll ever be, okay? Because he doesn't understand that it is a cursed Messiah that will save the world. And so he, he's, he's in rejection of this. He says, what I've written is what I'm, is what, is what I'm going to write. And what we need to see is that there is profound irony here. Profound irony. Have you noticed how this reality of kingship has actually, it's actually run its way through chapters 18 and 19, Jesus has been dressed up as a comedic king. He's had this incredibly painful display of, 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 of comedy with a crown of thorns is put on his head. Can you imagine how, I mean, just how painful that would be, just shoved down into the, into the skin of your skull? He's, he, has a, he has a purple robe put on himself. They hand him a scepter in Luke's gospel, and they say, come on. Here's, here's, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, the, the cross, remember, there's a lot to get your arm around here. The cross of Christ is simultaneously a display of the mercy and the love of God and the depth of human sinfulness. This is humanity, this is just, this is really bad. And crucifixion does not exist today, praise the Lord. The gospel's had an influence on society, and it doesn't do that anymore. But, as he, but, but of course, as this is happening, and we even know, of course, that Jesus said in chapter 18, verse 36 to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I may not be delivered to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. Now, what's important about John 18, verse 36, is that Jesus doesn't say, I'm not a king. He says, I'm just a different kind of king. Okay? He doesn't say, no, 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 don't, I'm, I'm, I'm no king. No, I'm just a king in a different kind of way. I'm the kind of king who calls down 12 legions of angels, if necessary, to handle my business. That's the kind of king I am. So, Pilate is more, friends, Pilate is more than a Roman procurator. He is a good news preacher because Jesus is the king. He is the king. And he is a king, as one author put it, of international significance. Aramaic was spoken by Jews of the day. Latin was the language of the Roman court. Greek was the international business of trade and commerce. Everybody needs to be able to read, that man is the king. Does Pilate know he's doing this? No, but we know he's doing this. We, we, we step back and know the irony. The man dressed up as a comic king is the king. And the men beating him should bow to him. This is this Jesus, my friends. This is the Jesus to give your life to. This is why the early first, who were known as the church fathers, kind of the pastors the first few hundred years after the events that are here, really close to these things, they, they would say that, that, Jesus, that, that Jesus reigned from his cross. He is Jesus, Lord at thy birth. He is Jesus, Lord at thy trial. And he is Jesus, Lord on thy cross. And he will make the fact plain when he is raised from the dead. Confirming to the whole world, I'm king of everybody. And you can't escape this, guys. Why would we want to? I don't want to run my life anymore. I don't want to escape the lordship of Jesus. It's good news. He's good, he's sovereign, he's wise. All he'll do is pick you up and clean you up and set you on a new path. Who, who doesn't want that? 
The inscription above the cross is the good news that Pilate didn't know, but that he did preach. Jesus is the king. Now, third, friends, it isn't just this. John also wants us to shift our focus to, thirdly, the people present at the cross. Distinctly, there are two groups of people that John points out, soldiers and women. The soldiers are in verse 23, and they are doing, uh, and they are just doing what soldiers do. They are overseeing the crucifixion. They're dividing his garments, verse 23. That's probably his last remaining possessions, sandals, belt, um, an outside shirt, uh, if he had something like that. Um, he also has a tunic, they say in verse, in, in, in verse 23. Now, this tunic was something every, every man would have had, and it was the thing closest to the skin, okay? So, all the way down. Pretty, you probably had one of these. It was a pretty valuable piece of clothing. And, and so, obviously, and they see it this way because they say, hold on, don't rip it apart. Let's, cat, let's gamble over it, and let's see whose it belongs to. Okay, and this was to fulfill scripture in verse 24. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing, they cast lots. So here's what we see. Um, how many soldiers do we have? We have four. Four. Okay, that's verses 23, 23 to 24. Four soldiers, why? Four for each of the soldiers, verse 23. Then, second, we have the women. So the soldiers did these things. Now look at verse 25. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, four women, four women. And Jesus, in an extraordinary act of love, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, now that's John the author, standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. So Jesus, in an act of love here, <laughs> entrusts the care of his mother to, to this disciple. Maybe Joseph's dead, we don't know. But he entrusted to him, but, but I, I want you to notice this. In this act of love, please notice, how does Jesus refer to Mary in verse 26? He doesn't say mother. What does he, what does he call her? He calls her woman, okay? Now, now, to us, if I were to, you know, if, if I were to just walk around just saying woman to women, that would be very off-putting um, for obvious reasons. But in this context, it, it, it's, it's, a tone of dign, it, it's, it's a statement of dignity and of seriousness. It's not, it's, it, it's not degradation. It's actually elevation. So here, here's the point. Um, at this moment in, this, this is the mother of Jesus. This is the mother of Jesus watching her son be crucified. Okay? This is, this is, this is, now these other women we know some things about. We can't get into who all of them are just for the sake of time. But, but they were all just part of this entourage that Jesus had following him. So his, his mother is there. And, and, and remember, Mary was told a sword will pierce your own soul also. Moms, can you imagine this is your son? This is an incredibly painful moment. And Jesus says woman. Now, why does he say woman? He says woman because starting right now, Mary's fundamental relationship to her son is no longer mother to son, but savior to disciple. She's trying to tell Mary, Mary, you must do this incredible thing and put your faith in the one that you fed. Woman. I'm pri fundamentally primarily now. This is the, Mary, Mary's just like us, guys. She's, she, is, she, deserve, if she deserves no greater elevation than anybody else. She's a sinner in need of the Savior. Her son, her, her earthbound son, her, her, her biological son would provide. And that's what she says. Now, what I think John wants us to see is the distinction between these two groups. Remember, what do we have? We have four soldiers and we have four women. Well, why is that? I think it is so that we could look into our own hearts this morning and ask, where am I standing? 
Where am I standing? Because there is no such thing as neutrality, friends. There is no such thing as they're this, they're that, and I'm something over here that I created. It's just not the nature of the universe, not morally, not spiritually, not politically. It just doesn't happen that way. You are, you, we, are, we are standing today, right here, right now. We are standing in rejection with the soldiers, or we are standing in loving and loyal devotion as these women. Now, I do not think these women have put everything together about who Jesus is. I don't think that happens till after the, at least after the resurrection, maybe even into the book of Acts. Okay, I can be argued. It just, it's not here. Okay, nobody thought he was going to come back from the dead. Okay, nope. Just like us, they believe dead people stay dead. So that's got to be in a miracle if this guy comes back. Okay, that was hard for them to believe, and it's hard for us to believe. But, 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 but what, what I love about this is they're there. All, all the other Joker disciples, they're gone. One, one denied him, another betrayed him. And here are these, I'm just so grateful for the love and loyalty of these women with John the disciple. I praise God for the love and loyalty of these, of these women disciples now and women disciples today. Our church is filled with them. I see you right now. Women passionate about the Lord Jesus. Praise God for you. May you increase. And here they are. But friends, the question is, where are we standing? In love and loyalty to Jesus? So, so, so we either look, we either look at the cross. Paul said the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So you have foolishness, that power of foolishness, or the power of God. There isn't a third. Please believe me. There's not a third. You're not a third. There's not a. There's not. A, it, 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 with great kindness, I say, there's not a third. There's. This is foolishness to those who are perishing, or it is the power of God unto salvation. We either, we either hear the words that my sin is serious, God is both holy and loving, and in an effort to satisfy his character and to display his love, he sent his son to die a death I should have died, and by that death, I don't have to die. We either hear that and say, yes, or we hear it and we say, How, I, what? What? Like that's, like, like he defeats death by dying? We're standing in one or two places. And we should test ourselves. Where are we standing? I'm not saying you would drive nails through the hands of Jesus. What I am saying is that John deliberately puts two groups of people together that could not be any more different. These soldiers in their just shameful rejection of Jesus and these women in their love and loyalty to him. Now when we consider the people we can then consider number four, friends, number four, and we can begin to think about ourselves. Number four, let's consider the good news of the cross. The good news of the cross. Now, we need to notice something very important. With virtually every step and with virtually every word, Jesus is fulfilling Old Testament scripture. There, depending upon how you count them, there are some four to five ref, uh, direct or indirect references back to the old back to the Old Testament. He, of course, we we see uh, we see here they divided my garments among them in verse in verse twenty four, in verse twenty eight. Jesus is going to say, "I'm thirst to fulfill Scripture." Probably a reference to Psalm sixty nine or Psalm eighty eight, Psalms of lament for David that were, of course, we see finally fulfilled in Jesus. And that makes sense, doesn't it? If everything has been leading to this point, that's because everything was planned up to this point. That's because nothing is out of God's sway or control. It's because Jesus will accomplish what he will accomplish with all the effectiveness because it's planned. Christ died for our sins 
in accordance with the scriptures, Romans 15.3. It will happen because God has designed it so. Jesus is there. These soldiers are there. These women are there because that's the kind of God he is. It's not, oh, I hope things work out. It's in fact the opposite. I'm going to ensure everything works out. And that's a thought of great comfort for us as Christians because all of that power is employed on our behalf. Everything works together for our good. It's good news to hear again that everything that is happening here is supposed to happen and nothing is happening that isn't supposed to happen. If there were just one thing, it would call everything into question. Now to cut to the chase, we're looking at verses 28 to 30, the moment of Jesus' death. He's been there for six hours. He's arriving at the very, very end. And what is the dominant note in the mind of Jesus as he reaches the end? The dominant note is completion. It is accomplishment. It is seeing something started and seeing something finished. Let's just read it. Look at verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, hold on to that thought, we'll get back to it in just a moment, said, to fulfill scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had finished the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. I love, I love the end of verse 30. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus died. You notice that? Well, what did he do? He gave up his spirit. It wasn't taken. It was given. No one takes my life from me, Jesus said. I lay it down of my own choice. I lay it down. I take it up again. This charge I received from my father. Why is Jesus in the garden to be arrested just a few hours before this? He's not there to hide. He's there to be found. Why is he arrested? Because he allows himself to be. Because he's a king of another world. He's the king of another kind of kingdom. Why, why is he on this cross? Because he allows it. The father planned it. He's in agreement with him. No one's taking Jesus' life from him. He's giving. No one's taking it for our sake, friends. Jesus is giving it for our sake. Now, this phrase, it is finished, is hugely important. Jesus made all sorts of claims. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. But this one should have our attention. It is finished. Maybe you've heard a preacher or in a Sunday school class or a small group, someone explain what this is. It's, it's, it's one word in Aramaic. Tetelestai. Tetelestai. And, and it was common in that day. Jesus wasn't the only one. This isn't like Jesus is the first person ever to have said this word. It, it was used, it was, it was very common. Whenever you started something and ended it, you would look at your butt. If you, you built a house for you and, your, you and your future wife, very common in Jewish culture, you'd build a house, get it all ready. When it was all done, before you got married, you would say, you would look back at the home and say, Tetelestai. It's done. It's all complete. So that's what this means. Jesus is thinking of completion. Well, well then, well then the, question, the question begs, what did Jesus finish? What did Jesus complete? And this is the good news. Because in shorthand, friends, when Jesus says it is finished, he bows his head and gives up his spirit. It means that he completes and accomplishes everything necessary for us to be saved. Saved from the penalty of sin, saved from the wrath of God. It means the good news that everything necessary for sinners like us to be saved has been completed and accomplished. Atonement was made. All that is left is for us to transfer our trust onto him, and immediately judgment is gone, condemnation is erased, the penalty is paid, and we are justified and free. 
That's what it means. Everything to this point. So you could say this is the last step. His death is the last step in a life of perfect obedience and righteousness. The Father gave him work to do, and now he finished it. And second, specifically, you could say it means that his death was not just any other death. Remember, the Romans, uh, the Romans crucified hundreds of thousands of people. It's not so much what, it's who and it's why. All those other crucifixions didn't bear the curse for our sin. All those other crucifixions didn't take our sin away from us so that we could stand before God. You see, this death is a sin-bearing death. It is a wrath-satisfying death. It is a pay-the-penalty-for-our-sin death. It is behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world death. It is a Jesus-in-my-place death. Look, friends, please just give me your ear. Everyone in this room will die. Everyone in this room will die. For the wages of sin is death. Every time you go to a funeral, you, you, need to, you, have a, you have multiple emotions in your mind. But as a Christian, you also need to think this is a judgment. Death is a judgment. It's not as it should be. The wages, what we must pay sin is our death. And more specifically, because our sin is not just against anybody, it's against an infinitely holy God, that punishment must reflect his character, which is infinite and unfathomable. And so our punishment must be eternal hell forever. So here's the deal. Personally, actually, I will pay the wage for my sin or I can transfer my trust onto Jesus and he can pay it. But someone will pay my wage. We're not getting out of this. The cross of Christ is good news for sinners like us because we don't have to pay it. We can, this same Jesus in chapter 11 says, though you die, you will live. This is the good news. And for hundreds of years, the church has been singing this. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Now what does that mean, sealed? It means that if you're here and you're not a Christian, to, become, to, to be saved today... All you must do is trust. And that's not even a work, right? Faith, faith, we talk about faith, putting your faith in Christ. Well, faith, faith is empty. Faith is, not, faith is not virtuous or not virtuous. It's nothing. It, all it can do is grasp something. That's, that's all you do. Just look and live. Say, I turn, I trust, in, I trust in Christ. That's it. He's done everything else. Christianity is done before it is due. Every other religion, if you want to give them a try, are due, and then you hope you get in. This is the great difference. He was lifted up to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven, exalted high. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Now, friends, what does this mean for us today? I want to give you two parting words as we conclude. Two things. First, first. You can write these down. They won't be on the screen, but you can write them down or just think about these. What does this mean for us today? First, because Jesus said it is finished, it means the empty hands of faith are all we need. The empty hands of faith are all we need. If you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus, as I just said, you can let go of your guilt, your shame, your condemnation, of your sin. You don't have to hold it for a moment longer, and you can come and trust in the one who stood in your place so that you don't have to. 
All we need is the empty hands of faith. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. That's all we must do. This is the good news of Christianity. Look and live. Repent and believe. Second, not only does it mean the empty hands of faith are all we need, but second, it means having trusted in Jesus, having trusted in Jesus, we now possess a new way of life. Having trusted in Jesus, we now possess a new way of life. So if you were to read the rest of the New Testament, what it's going to do is even more fill out the meaning of what this death means. And I've probably given too much. I probably could have been clearer. But in fact, again, this is, this is getting your arms around something too big in a way. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to go on to tell you that, that this cross is a completed work that has ongoing effects in our life as Christians. That in fact, this, this idea of, of, of the redemption that is ours in Jesus, the best illustration I've ever read is from C.J. Mahaney when he says that this, this news, this gospel, isn't just one class that you take in your Christian life. It's the whole building where all the classes are held. And so, and, so, and so the rest of the New Testament is going to give us a picture of this new way of life. It's going to say things like, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. See that? Why do you forgive other people? Because he forgave you. It's going, to, it's, it, it's going to say things like, friends, Grace Church, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Gave himself up for us is short for death by crucifixion. The New Testament is going to say things like Jesus going to his disciples and saying, what is this nonsense about you thinking the best person is the first one in line? That is not how things are going to operate if you're going to be my disciple. It's going to be the last. It's going to be the least. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See that? Why do we serve? Because he served us. It's the whole building, guys. This isn't just one thing. It is in every sense we are now given this new way of life, a cross-centered life. And so this morning, as we end, I commend to you that all you need are the empty hands of faith. And when trusting in Christ, we together have this new way of life. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so grateful for the clarity of your word and how we can apply it. We're so grateful that you said these words, it is finished. May there be in our hearts, uh, it, it, this, this idea of an explosion of freedom and of life. I mean, like, like, we can, like we can walk out of here today bearing our sin not a moment longer? I don't have to toss and turn at night over those things that I did years ago that I just can't forget? I can leave today through the empty hands of faith knowing that I'm right with God? Yes! This is the news that will turn the world upside down. And Lord, we have people among us in our church giving out this good news in the form of a track we've written. Lord, because we believe that this is not only the most important message, and the, the, the message of the cross, Lord, we know is not only the most important message in all of history, it's the only essential message in all of history. It's the only thing we have to hear that Christ died for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And so, Lord, I pray that we would consider the empty hands of faith and that we would know that we possess this new way of life as individuals, as a church, as moms, as dads, as grandparents. Everywhere we go, Monday is coming. Everywhere we go, may we serve, may we love, 
on the basis of what you have done for us, would you give us a cross-centered passion for our lives? In Jesus' name, everyone said together. Amen, friends. Amen.